Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word, your truth to us. And um, it is that. Don't let us forget that. Don't let us forget that it is your truth. Don't let us forget that it uh, is indeed something that can help us not only understand you, but understand ourselves, understand how we are and can live better for you, face those challenges, those things that come along. Uh, So use your word today and uh, teach us, reach us. Again, you know what's going on in every life here. I I couldn't possibly know. Uh, And you know what's coming. (laughs) Boy, that one's way beyond me. Uh, So as you work and as you prepare us, uh, help us to give our attention to you here. And in the days to come, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. When I moved to Fort Wayne, uh, well, a little over 30 years ago now, um, I was, uh, I began to notice some of the ways things were done differently here than they are in Chicago. Uh, one of the very first things I remember noticing that was done differently was a fog delay. A what? You know, a fog delay, a delay of any kind. Uh, you know, I, I, a school delay, we didn't, I, I think they do them in Chicago now, they never did before. And uh, the whole time that I was in school, we only missed school uh, for a few days in 1967 when there was a big there was a snowstorm and um, you know we missed it that was the only time we missed school at all because of weather uh, the entire time I was there part of it is because uh, they throw so much salt down on on the roads in Chicago that the snow melts when it's three feet off the ground and your cars your cars rust out um, just from being parked in the garage but at any rate uh, that was one of the first differences I noticed. Another one came to mind uh, just the, uh, earlier, the last week, uh, and the last week I think it was, I met with uh, Peyton and Katie talk about their wedding. And it reminded me of the first time, I, the first wedding I did here. Uh, I, I came out here with uh, Peyton and Katie, and, you know, we talked about where people are going to stand and all that. And I remember the first wedding I did here, uh, I did the same thing. You know, we talked about where people were going to stand and where they were going to come in from. And the couple looked at me and said, where are we going to get dressed? I thought it was a trick question. I said, at home? And they, you know, that's when I learned, you know, that the people got dressed at at the church. It was the very first time that ever happened to me. I mean, I'd done plenty of weddings in, you know, in Chicago and been to plenty of weddings and Everybody got dressed at home. It just seemed to make, but you know, but it was again, it was just a little, a little different. One of the differences I am still impressed with, after over thirty years of being here, is the respect that many people show when a funeral procession comes by. That you know, people pull over, uh, many people pull over and stop, and that I am still impressed by that. Um, you know, in Chicago, my goodness, you know, we, we had people cut into the funeral processions, you know, and, and, uh, you know, it, it was, it was nutso city, um, you know, but I, I'm, I'm still impressed by that. When I, you know, you think about it, what a great display of respect and honor and camaraderie, you know, expressed to people that you don't even know. And I'm, I'm still impressed by that. Uh, the final chapter of Genesis here begins with a funeral. A huge display of of respect, 
of uh, an honor and camaraderie. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 50, so if you want to turn there. Um, we started this series 12 years ago. <laughs> we did. We started this series in March of 2008. And it was just meant at that time I was going to, it was going to be a focus during the summer. And, uh, as, as can happen, I, I kind of got carried away a little bit. That first, uh, series was titled A Good Start. And it covered, uh, well, from chapter one through the beginning of, of, uh, chapter 11. And, uh, 19 sermons. Well, you know, it's a little bit longer than summer. And then in 2009, the very next year, we followed it up with a series, God and Me, and we covered chapter 11, the beginning of 11, 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 10, through chapter 29, and we did that in 14 sermons. And then something happened, and there was a nine-year break. Uh, you know, we picked up again, picked the series up again in April of 2018, uh, and we looked at, at it under the banner of my people, and it was 16 sermons that covered chapters 23 through th- the very first verse of chapter 37. And then we skipped a year again, and this past February, finally, uh, we picked it up again in chapter 37, looking at it under that banner of out of control, uh, and after today we'll have covered it in 18 more messages. So that's 67 messages spread over 12 years. Uh, not what I expected, uh, but here we are. You know, Here we are in, in chapter 50. At the end of chapter 49, Jacob died. So that's the, at the end of chapter 49. Jacob dies. Chapter 50, we get into his funeral. Follow along. Verse 1 says, Then Joseph, leaning over his father's face, wept and kissed him. He commanded his servants who were physicians to embalm his father, so they embalmed Israel. They took 40 days to complete this, for embalming takes that long, and the Egyptians mourned for him 70 days. When the days of mourning were over, Joseph said to Pharaoh's household, If I have found favor with you, please tell Pharaoh that my father made me take an oath, saying, I am about to die. You must bury me there in the tomb that I made for myself in the land of Canaan. Now let me go and bury my father, then I will return. So Pharaoh said, Go and bury your father in keeping with your oath. Then Joseph went to bury his father and all of Pharaoh's servants, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt went with him, along with all of Joseph's household, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children and their sheep and their cattle were left in the land of Goshen. I was kind of wondering who was babysitting. Just one of those thoughts comes to mind. Verse 9, horses and chariots went up with him. It was a very impressive procession. When they reached the threshing floor of Atad, uh, which is across the Jordan, they lamented and wept loudly, and Joseph mourned seven days for his father. When the Canaanite inhabitants of the land saw this mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, uh, they said, This is a solemn mourning on the part of the Egyptians. Therefore, the place is called Abel Mizraim. It is across the Jordan. So Jacob's sons did for him what he had commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in a cave at Machpelah in the field near near Mamre, which Abraham had purchased as a burial site from Ephron the Hittite. After Joseph buried his father, he returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone with him to bury his father. Now we're going to stop there for just a minute and just some observations for us. Now notice it says it took 40 days for embalming and 70 days of mourning. Now don't think of embalming as it's done today. You know, we think 40 days for embalming. Uh, think of it more as uh, dehydrating. I mean, that was 
kind of the, the, the process. They would um, remove the internal organs and kind of dry out the rest of the flesh on the body, maybe a little bit more than you wanted to know. But there's the 40-day, you know, there's the 40-day process. The 70 days of mourning probably ran concurrently with the 40 days. It probably was, it, it most likely, you know, started when he died and in 70 days, not waiting the 40 days and then and then what it was. But it says after 70 days, then they traveled for burial. Verse 10 says when they reached that flesh, threshing floor of Atad, uh, they lamented loudly. Uh, and Joseph mourned his father seven days. Now, this was a long trip. This was not something, you know, we're used to funeral processions that are relatively short. Um, and, you know, this was a long, big, involved process. Probably a sad trip, but a trip, too, that's full of memories. Uh, they're going back to the land, you know, that they were from and, you know, going back home, sort of. Um, you know, and then it says that there's another seven days of mourning. As I was reading this, it's, I, I think it's a reminder to us to take time to grieve. Take time to grieve. We don't do this well. As a culture, you know, as a society, uh, as, as a bunch of, um, don't be offended, as a bunch of white people in, you know, in America, we don't do this. We don't, we don't do this well. Um, what we do is we spend time trying to avoid grieving. We spend time trying to avoid grieving and trying to keep busy. You know, and trying to, it's a process though that we need. And there's nothing wrong with it. God says, you know, that He wants us to grieve like, not like the rest who have no hope. Did you catch that? He doesn't say don't grieve. He says our grieving is, is a little different. Uh, you know, the, the, the average grieving time, they tell us, they being those who study these things, average grieving time is two years. Um, and, and so what that means is, you know, that, that uh, we, we work to suppress this, you know, we put in extra effort to suppress it for two years, but that doesn't mean you're done after that. What it means is it takes us a couple of years to make adjustments. You, you don't get over it. I've had people tell me, when am I going to get over this? You, you don't get over it. You know, you, you don't. You get over the flu. You get over, you know, a broken leg. You, those, are, those are things you get over. But the death of someone you adjust to. You know, you, you make adjustments, and adjustments take time. It takes time to do that. A piece of your life is missing. No matter who it is, for some, you know, we lose some that are, are much closer to us than others. But even those that are, are, are a little more distant, there's still some adjustments we have to make. You know, and, and we, we need to take the time. We need to take the time to grieve, you know, because a piece is missing. Now, let me also say, you know, there's a time to grieve and there's a time to no longer let grief control you. You see, like I said, it's, it's not something you get over. It's where you, you make adjustments, but you know, you don't let grief control you. And that's not disrespectful. Look at what it says in verse 14. After Joseph buried his father, he returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone with him. The time of grief directing their day had passed. In Ecclesiastes, it says there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. 
statistically, I will be the first one in our family to go. I mean, statistically, you know, I'm the oldest, I'm the male, you know, and, um, you know, so that's what's going to most likely happen. But I don't want my family stuck in the moment of my death. I don't want them stuck there. I want them motivated by my life. You know, I want them to be motivated by, you know, by, by those by the person that I was, by the things that were important to me, by the things we shared together. And I want them to be motivated by that. I want them to live to the fullest, life to the fullest that God has for them. So I was working on this. I thought, I thought, and I even, I even paused and looked it up on YouTube, uh, that song by uh, Leanne Womack. I wouldn't have been able to tell you that she's the one who sang it. Uh, I hope you dance. It's not a Christian song, but I thought, you know, Play this at my funeral, you know, seriously. Um, because my hope is not that they, that my family gets stuck in that, you know, but that they can go on, that, that, they, that they can enter into life in a new way and enjoy it and smile. Well, look at verse 7. It says, Then Joseph went to bury his father, all Pharaoh's servants, elders, his household. All the elders of the land went with him, along with all of Joseph's household, his brothers, and his father's household. Do you get the idea? It's a big, it's a big procession here. It's a big thing. And here's the picture for us, you know, to show that respect, that honor, that camaraderie when it's called for. You know, that, that respect of, who, of, of the person, of, of the people, the honor. That camaraderie, you see, that, that joining together. You know, at a funeral, one of the things that people always say, boy, I hope this isn't the only time we get together. But it is a time you get together. You see? It is a time that pulls you together. And that, that whole unfolding there. Jacob was important to Joseph and his brothers. And many of the folks who went with Joseph may not even have known Jacob. They were there because they knew Joseph and his family. We've all gone to to uh, funerals where you know we, we didn't really know the person. Uh, Jenny has a viewing this afternoon of of uh, someone at work's brother passed away. Uh, she's planning on going. You know she doesn't she didn't know the person who passed away, but she knew she knows the brother. You know, and that's it's it's that that respect, that honor, that camaraderie that's there. Now look at that, all these people that went with Joseph, you know, and I'm sure they, I'm sure, you know, many of these people had other things to do. You know, they had other things, and they, well, they did, you know, they, they set things aside and they took, they took the time to travel and to be with Joseph and his family. I don't think you realize sometimes how much your presence means, what a difference just your presence means to others. When my mother died, uh, Kent and Sarah drove to Chicago for the funeral. You know, six hours on the road, three hours there, three hours back, you know, and all the time there. But now it's not just funerals. I mean, you know, we're looking to talk about funerals. That's certainly one of them, but it's not just funerals. Many of you, you know, many of you drove to, you know, over to Aurora, Illinois for Pete and Jess's wedding. (laughs) Eight hours on the road. (laughs) 
you know, four hours or four hours back. You know, it's just, just that, you know, your presence, you know, your presence means more than you realize. And here's just a, when you show up, seek to be authentic rather than profound. Because your presence means more than clever sayings. You know, your presence means more to them than you trying to be profound, than you trying to come up with something clever. You know, you go to a funeral, tell them you're sorry. And then be quiet and listen. You know, Job was a wealthy man. You know, we're familiar with, some of us are familiar with Job in the Bible. And he was a wealthy man and he had all sorts of, he had all sorts of stuff. And then in very short order, it says he lost all his possessions, he lost all, all his children, he lost all of his wealth, he even lost his physical comfort. He lost all of those things in very short order. We're told that Job's friends came to comfort him on his loss, and they sat with him in silence, it says, for a week. They sat with him in silence for a week. And then they opened their mouths and put their foot in it because they were trying to be profound. Because they were trying to say something clever. And now, you know, if you if you remember what they even did, they got to the point where they began to accuse Job. Think about that. These friends who came to comfort him on the loss of his all of his children. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't even imagine. And then when they were trying to be profound, they began accusing Job of being a sinner. Seek to be authentic. You know, you're a friend. Go there and be a friend. Let's pick up verse 15. It says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said to one another, If Joseph is holding a grudge against us, he will certainly repay us for all the suffering we caused him. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before he died, your father gave a command. Say this to Joseph. Please forgive your brother's transgressions and their sin, the suffering they caused you. Therefore, please forgive the transition, transgression of your servants, of the God of your father. Joseph wept when their message came to him. Then his brothers also came to him and bowed down before him, just, uh, just like Joseph said would happen in his dreams, you know, all those years before. They came down and bowed before him and said, We are your slaves. Verse 19. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present results, the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now we're going to pause there again. You know, you got this picture. Joseph's brothers knew that they sinned against Joseph. They knew that. There wasn't any question in their mind that they had wronged Joseph. And, you know, this brought up a concern. And they expected now that Joseph would take revenge. They knew they had wronged him and they knew well, that they had it coming in a sense. And they kind of expected that this was a time where it was going to unfold. Think about this. So, you know, almost after 40 years, after almost 40 years, they're still worried about their sin against Joseph. 
This is still what is controlling their life. And apparently they had not yet come to Joseph looking for forgiveness, seeking for forgiveness. After all of these years, after all of this time together, unconfessed sin will begin to control you. You have unconfessed sin, it will begin to control. This is why some families break apart. This is why some friendships break apart. Because this unconfessed sin begins to control us. And when you have that unconfessed sin, then you begin to avoid the one that you sinned against. Maybe you start by simply acting differently around them. You know, whatever it is for you, or overly nice or overly quiet or whatever it might be. You just start acting different. Well, then, before long, in your mind, then you begin to blame them. You begin to blame them and talk about how much it's their fault for this divide. The reality is you allowed unconfessed sin to drive a wedge between you and someone else. And you allowed that unconfessed sin to drive that wedge and push you further apart. Removing that wedge between you and others is important. So Jesus said this about it. He says, but I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Now we could pause there and say a lot. Anyone who is angry with his brother, and we say, but, 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 and, you know, we, the, the little motorboat thing. Anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Whoever says to his brother, fool, will be subject to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says you moron will be subject to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go first and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. What he's saying is is that getting this relationship straightened out with your brother is important, more important than coming to worship and express your commitment to God even though you're ignoring it in your relationship to your brother. When Jesus was asked, what's the most important command? And what did he say? He answered the question and he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then he went on and he said, and the second is like it. To love your brother as yourself. You see, that importance of that relationship there. What we need to do is step up and seek forgiveness for your sin. We need to do that. Step up and seek forgiveness for you. Certainly you confess to God first. All sin is always against God. We mentioned that last week. We've mentioned it many times over the last 30 years. All sin is always against God. So first you confess it to God and then, and then, and then pray, you know, pray and ask God to help you work out that hostility between you and the other person. Seek forgiveness from God and then pray and go. Put action to that prayer and go and get the the thing straightened out with the other person. Now, the problem is often not, you know, is often not one-sided. But here's the deal. You can only work on your side of the problem. So do that. So do that. You know, you, you can only work on your side of the problem. You can only work on what you did. So don't excuse yourself. Don't try... When you go to them, don't, don't try to get them to confess their guilt. That's not the point. When you're going and confessing for what you did wrong, you know, don't excuse yourself. Don't, you know, don't try to get them to confess. 
Romans 12 is pretty clear. It says, never pay back anyone. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Okay, so let, let me just give you a little quiz here. How often should you pay back? Never. And and to just select people? To anyone, it says. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, if possible, as far as it depends on you. You working on your part. As far as it depends on you, you do all you can on your part. You can't control their part, but you can control your part. As much as depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never, never take your own revenge. Again, let me ask you, how often can you take revenge? Well, that's the biblical answer, isn't it? We have trouble with that in reality. But here's what it says. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And we say, let me help you out, God. Let me help you out, God. You're not doing it fast enough for me. You're not doing it violent enough for me. You're not suppressing it. I mean, you're not doing it. I want it done and I want it done now. Let me help you out, God. Now, when we hear it say that way, we say, well, it's a little arrogant. It's a little, yeah. What we do is we step into the role. We step into God's role. What, who? I don't want to offend you, but who do you think you are? The verse, this is very clear instruction. You do not need a theology degree to understand these verses. You don't need any type of degree at all to understand these verses. Very clear instruction. What we need to do is to obey God. What we need to do is to apply these verses to our lives. Well, uh, the brothers say, you know, went, went to Joseph, said, well, you know, before, before dad died, uh, you know, before your father died, uh, you know, end of verse 16, he gave a command, say to Joseph, please forgive your brother's transgressions and their sin, the suffering they caused you. Now, it's not record, this isn't recorded anywhere else that Jacob uh, said this to them. But it certainly is within reason to think that Jacob would have encouraged his sons to repent and settle this issue with Joseph once, you know, once that he found out Joseph was alive. He could have been telling them for the last 17 years, between the time he found out that Joseph was alive until the time he passed. He could have been telling them for 17 years, look, get this straight now with your brother. You know, you wronged him. You know, you need to go to him and talk to him. We looked last week, you know, the, the, the maturing of the man Jacob, you know, and as we saw that over the years, it, it's, I, I think it's... To me, it seems it would seem natural that he would have been telling them, "Get this straightened out." You know, quit waiting and do what you can to clear up anything between you and someone else, particularly family members. As much as depends on you, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all. Quit waiting and do what you can to clear things up. Now, I don't know if Joseph's brothers prayed about this before they approached Joseph. Um, But what I do know as I look at this is Joseph's response makes it very clear that God was working in his life. 
in Joseph's life. Look at what he says, verse 19. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? There it is. Am I in the place of God? Uh, Romans wasn't even written yet, but Joseph is living it out. He, you know, he knew vengeance wasn't, wasn't his, it was God's. Am I in the place of God? Verse 20. You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Uh, if you're looking at, if, if you're in your own Bible, just write Romans 8.28 right next to that. Just, you know, and then you can look it up later. And all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You see the providence of God you see here. Verse 21. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your little ones. And he comforted them. Spoke kindly to them. Comforted. Spoke kindly to those who had sold him into slavery. This is another side of the forgiveness equation for us here. You know, when we are the ones who are wronged. When the wrong is done against us and someone comes to us seeking forgiveness, let me give you the short answer. Forgive them. Forgive them. You don't make them pay. If you make them pay, you haven't forgiven them. Forgive others. Don't hold a grudge. Don't hold a grudge. Forgive others. Instead, look for the good that God can bring from this for you and for others. Look at the good that God can bring, may already be bringing from you, in you, and in others, you know, for you and for for others. Don't let these things drag out. Let's finish this up. Verse 22. Joseph and his father's household remained in Egypt. Joseph lived 110 years. Pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, I, I think as long as you're healthy. The thing is, that's that's short for his ancestors and that, that he went early. Uh, verse 23, he saw Ephraim's son to the third generation. How cool. Man, I'd love to see great-grandchildren. Great-great-grandchildren. Oh, my goodness. Uh, this, uh, the third generation of the sons of Manasseh's son, uh, Machir, were recognized by Joseph. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will certainly come to your aid and bring you up from this land, that the land that he promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Joseph made the sons of Israel take an oath. When God comes to your aid, you are to carry my bones up from here. Joseph died at the age of 110, and they embalmed him and placed him in a coffin in Egypt. Joseph lived over 90 years in Egypt. He came when he was 17. He died when he was 110. He, over 90 years he lived in Egypt as a slave. Even when he was in Pharaoh's service, he was a slave to Pharaoh. He was elevated and had a good position, but he was a slave in Pharaoh's household still. These verses here, 20, you know, 22 through 26, they cover over 50 years of Joseph's life and we're given very few details. Um, as I was reading this, I thought, you know, Joseph's brothers, they might have left after, you know, dad died, uh, you know, might have left after that, but it, it's, it seems they would have wanted to go back to the promised land. I, you know, I don't know why they didn't, but maybe we're given a little bit of a glimpse by what we're told in the beginning of Exodus. Exodus chapter 1 says, Then Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were fruitful, increased rapidly, multiplied, and became extremely numerous so that the land was filled with them. See, things were going well for them there, so maybe that's why they stayed. Then it says, A new king who had not known Joseph came to power in Egypt. 
He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and powerful than we are. Let us deal shrewdly with them. And they put him into slavery for hundreds of years. As I read these last several verses in Genesis chapter 50, I wonder if the changes maybe already started taking place before Joseph died. Look what he says. He says, God will certainly come to your aid and bring you up from this land to the land he promised. He says, when God comes to your aid, you're to carry my bones up from here. Maybe some of this already started. We don't know. We're not told. But what we do see in these verses is the same thing we have been seeing throughout the entire book of Genesis. You know, from the very beginning to the end, and that's the providence of God unfolding. And the providence of God overrules the expectations of man every single time. From the introduction of sin into God's perfection in the garden, where he created things perfect and sin came in, and it began to, you know, began to uh, mess with things there. Right, we see, we still see the providence of God overruling. You know, it, through the repeated rebellions over and over again of those who knew him and, you know, the, their actions of those who denied him and followed false gods over and over again, we see the providence of God and the providence of God overruling the expectations of man. God didn't always do what others expected. He didn't, you know, he, he didn't do that because the providence of God always overrules the expectations, the rebellion, the sin, and the independence of man. When you think things are out of control, make sure your relationship with God is right. Make sure really as best you can your relationship with others is right. Trust and walk in the providence of God. No better place to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a God who is not surprised by things that are going on in this world right now where we live. None of this surprises you. Some of this aggravates us and some of this I know breaks your heart. Help us to begin to see even more your hand at work. Help us begin to see and to understand it's not our expectations that matter. It's you, your wisdom, your power, your plan, in your time, by your design. We're saying faith is the victory, Father. That overcomes the world. Remind us again of what a great God we serve. Thank you for the book of Genesis. I thank you for the time that we could spend in it. I thank you for the information. I thank you for the encouragement, the challenge, the correction that comes from your word and your truth. Help us to always walk and live in it, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.